for those who are here, if you would turn to Daniel 12, and uh, we'll be reading verses 5 through 13. For those who are counting, that's 40 verses fewer than last week. <laughs> and I have sworn, so it probably won't come true, but that I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at God's word. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these offense will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand, so I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father... You are the one who is from the beginning and who will be beyond the end. You dwell outside of space. You are free from all change. And to you we look at this time recognizing that we are mutable creatures who live in a sin-cursed world, who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and who want to bring glory and honor to your name. Father, would you instruct us through this time of meditation? Will your spirit apply the lessons of this passage to each of our hearts that we may be changed? Would you do a mighty work in our children during children's worship in which they come to know you as their Savior and are built up in the most holy faith? And would you do all of this for the glory of Jesus? Amen. The theme I hope uh, we're kind of getting for the book of Daniel is building God's kingdom while living in man. At least that's the theme we've been uh, operating on as we've been trying to understand uh, this book. And uh, chapters 7 through 12 uh, in Daniel uh, have, have been... Uh, a series of visions about what's going to take place and uh, showing the uh, great persecution that the church is going to undergo and the, the hardship that uh, the church is going to face. And in chapters 10 through 12 is, is kind of the, the, the final vision. Really, the final vision is in chapter 11, chapter 10. God is just getting Daniel ready. Remember, he was so exhausted that the angel had to touch him three different times in order to give him enough strength just to see the vision. 
Then in chapter 11, we see the vision of the, the continuation, the persecution that's going to be uh, coming along. And now as we conclude in chapter 12, we have some final instructions in which God begins to deal with, with Daniel, really telling him to just keep on. Um, you'll notice in verse 9 and verse 13, he says the same thing to him as uh, it's the Lord Jesus who's speaking at this point, And he said, go your way, Daniel, in verse 13. But as for you, go your way. As I read that, the first thing that came to my mind is, okay, so here's this, this final word um, from uh, the pre-incarnate Christ speaking to Daniel, and what does he say? He says, go, go. I immediately thought of uh, our Lord Jesus and uh, one of the last words that he spoke while he's upon this earth in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, in Matthew 28, the word go is, is, a, is a participle, which means it, it, the, the function that it serves isn't so much a command as a description of, of what's going to be taking place as we fulfill the command. It's in a, a temporal setting. So what he's saying is, as you're going or while you're going, make disciples. Well, in, in uh, the passage that we're looking at in Daniel chapter 12, uh, the command is actually, it is actually a command. It's in the imperative voice, and he's commanding them to go. And it's a, it's a word that denotes movement of just about any kind, but how do people move? Well, we walk predominantly, and so it's, it's translated as, as, as walk or, or to go. It's uh, used in a couple different places uh, in yeah, in the Old Testament, one of them is in Genesis 5:22, in reference to uh, the the life of uh, uh, Enoch, in which we read, "Then Enoch walked with God 300 years." And that's the same word, walked. That's the idea. It's 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 to go. It's to have movement. That that is, he was moving through his life. It was with God, and it was always in that that close connection. And he uses it also in Genesis chapter 12 as God is calling uh, Abram to, to leave his homeland. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives. And so that aspect of, of start moving, of, of get going, and it's the idea of, of, of walking, of, of, of the movement within the life. And Daniel is told, go, go, meaning keep going, keep on. So therefore, the idea that we have is that we're called to keep on, to keep on this walk, even though we sometimes want to just sit on our laurels, right? We look at the future and we say, well, God's promised it, it's going to be good, so why would I want to work? I'll just kind of just hang out. The other is we get discouraged. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like discouragement is, is that guy who's just standing at the door of my heart constantly going, hey, can I come in? I want to come in, and he wants to come in and have this wonderful party with me, and I need to be opening it to Jesus, not to discouragement, but it's right there, and discouragement comes, and I want to give up, right? And it's just there. And in the midst of that, and, and, and God is aware of that, he's aware that Daniel's just seen this vision of, of all that's going to take place, and, and in the, the midst of the temptation, knowing that these hardships are going to become, and the temptations he's going to face, he says, keep on. And we need to keep on. How do we keep on in light of the hardships, in light of the duration of the hardships that we're going to face? I think to keep on, first, we're going to have to know that heaven is at work. And we see this in verses 5 through 9. Do you ever feel alone? You know what I mean? I mean, we're, we're in a crowd. But the reality is, how few people really know what I'm struggling with? 
How few people really know what's troubling my heart? What's going on inside? And some people, my friends will ask, and I may share my struggles with my friends, and they offer advice without tears. What I mean by that is, we, we, we give advice before we feel the difficulty of the, the struggle. You know what I mean? We're told to weep with those who weep, but too often we, we, we choose to fix those who weep, right? And we haven't taken the time, that first step, of really weeping with them and, and really feeling what it is that they're facing and the hardship that they're, they're going through and, and walking with them. And, and we feel that in our relationship with the people around us from time to time. We feel very much alone. What about those times when, when your prayers seem to be met by silence? Don't you hate it? God doesn't just jump when we, when we call and just do what we say. He's not the genie in the bottle. We pray and, and we feel we're met with silence. And we're not alone in that. David wrote about that in Psalm 13 when he cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David knew that God heard his prayers. David knew that God was there. And yet this is how he felt that even his, his, his prayers were, were met with silence from God. He felt very much alone. And sometimes we feel that way. Can you imagine how isolated Daniel felt? Daniel's in his uh, late 80s, more likely than not. Probably beyond his mid-80s. He is in his late 80s. Now it's possible that he doesn't have a whole lot of his friends still alive. Hananiah... Azariah and Mishael might not have been around anymore. It's very possible. Because as you get pushing 90, fewer and fewer of your friends and your contemporaries are there with you. And so he's more alone than he'd been. And he's just seen these visions of the end in which no one around can really understand. He's not so sure what this whole goat and the ram and, and, and all these other beasts are about. He's kind of got a little bit of an idea, but it's just incredible. And he's got all these ideas and these revelations of God that have come into his head and he's got it and he's just alone with all of that and he feels very much isolated. And though he's so exhausted, there's no one around him to come and touch him. So God has to send an angel to touch him to give him the strength. And he's isolated. And in the midst of that isolation, in the midst of that, that difficulty and that struggle, God brings him two encouragements. That is where God is going to give him, infuse into him courage so that he can keep on. The first encouragement is that heaven is interested. Look at verse 6. And one said to the man dressed in linen, that's Christ, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? How long? The literal translation would be, until when? Until when? I like that. I think that helps me to understand. Until when? What's, what's going to be the conclusion? What's going to bring this to an end? How long? And notice the one who asked that question is not Daniel. Daniel did not look at Christ and say, how long? It was an angel who was so interested in Daniel and interested in the vision that the angel turns to Christ and says, oh, oh, how long until these things take place? The angel wants to understand. 
Isn't that what we read in other passages about the angels? In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 10, we read, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, there's a whole lot that's, that's in there, but it talks about the, the prophets would prophesy things, and they didn't always understand everything, but they're trying to find out the times about this gospel and about the salvation of God's people, things into which angels long to look. The angelic majesty who dwell in the presence of God hear of the message of salvation, hear of God's love for you, his people, And they're interested. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Who's he showing it to? One of the groups that's seeing the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us are the angels. God's sidling up next to Michael and says, look at this. Look at this. Isn't this awesome? Look at, look at how much I love him. Showing these angels this love for us that the angels don't quite comprehend. He says, first off, I love them so much I created them in my image. Angels say, yeah, we weren't. He says, I know, I know, but they were. They're created in my image. And even though they fell, I'm going to redeem them. And the angels are saying, well, some of us fell, but we weren't redeemed. But these people were, and the angels look with great interest at what God is doing in your life. As it's hard, as you find the silence, as you feel alone, remember, the angels are interested. I still remember a study on worship that I did years ago, um, and uh, I'll never forget the moment that it was pointed out by the author that here we are in worship, And there's, what, maybe 60, 70 people here. But what we don't see are the angels that are here watching, saying, wow, interested in you as an individual and what God is doing in your life. That's encouraging, isn't it? To know that heaven is interested in our lives. Matter of fact, so interested that Hebrews tells us this about the angels. Chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That's their purpose, is to care for you. So know that heaven is at work. The heaven is interested and God is in control. Look at verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. And it would be for a time, times, and half a time. He answered the question. They said, how long? And Jesus said, it'll be time, times, and half a times. Right? Because we've all got that on our watch, right? Wait, what? Uh, I I was thinking of it earlier, and I thought, well, it's kind of like when your kids ask you, you know, how long till we get there? And we say, we'll be there in a bit, Right? Right? And we expect that to be fine for our kids. So just imagine that God said, uh, it'll be a bit, bits, and half a bit. 
So it's a little bit farther than just a bit, but it's a bit, bits, and half a bit. And, and that's how long it'll be. And we're like, oh, okay. Just like every two-year-old, when you say it'll be a bit, says, okay, that's fine. And so we do the exact same thing. Because what does it mean? What it really means is God knows, right? And if he had just said a bit, we could question. No, he didn't even know. But when he says a bit, bits, and half a bit, the half a bit, or the half a time, that's the one that gets me. It's like, okay, you have a specific point when this is going to happen. You know exactly. Exactly. And that gives me encouragement. He does know. He's not just watching it. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be if God wasn't in control? There's no hope. There's no encouragement. But because he's in control, because he knows the time, we can be comforted and encouraged at that reality. Verse 9, and he says, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. The idea of sealed up means that they have been um, secured and the seal's been put on them. And when the seal is put on them, nobody can open it except someone who is of equal or greater authority to the one who sealed it. And so God has sealed it, so who can open it? It's only God, the one who controls it. And it's toward the end of the time or the end time. And he knows when that time will be. God knows when to open it. He's in control. And I can be encouraged because I know that heaven is at work. I can rest in his good plan. And then the second thing I, I, I need to do is, is I, I need to keep working. Um, in light of the, the hardship and, and how long everything is going to be, and if I want to keep on, um, I've got I've to know that heaven's at work, and then I've got to keep working. Now, we live in an age in which uh, there's... Uh, it, it, it saddens me that you need to have some level of a disclaimer when you use the word work. As soon as you say work, there are those who rise up and say, Legalism! And, and they think that somehow that, that work is, is somehow uh, in conflict with the concept of grace. And, and it's, just, it's just silliness. And we just need to get rid of that kind of silliness because it's just so, so inconsistent with the Word of God, which is continually talking about that. And the other side is to say, well, you may have work to do, but there's no good work that you can do. There's no good that we can do. Which I, I look at that and I say, well, but didn't Paul say that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? Wouldn't that mean we have good works to do? I mean, isn't that just, the, the, it's silliness to, to begin to try to take these ideas and, and throw out the word of God and, and so that we can maintain our sophistry of theology. And anytime your theology is making you do these mental gymnastics with the word of God, that's a bad theology. Let's just go back to what the word of God says. And it says that you were created for good works to walk in them. And it's good for us to, to understand that those are the, the good works that we can indeed do. You have good works to do. But how do we go about doing those? I want to think about that for just a, just a moment. And, and looking at Ephesians 2.10 is helpful. Notice how it ends. It says that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them is, is a, a Greek word, parapeteo. Um, sometimes we'll use peripatetic as a, a word even in English, and it's, it's from that Greek word. Parapeteo means to walk about in. Parapeteo is used in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, when it says we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked. We used to walk within a sphere of sin, right? And as we walked about that sphere of sin, did we walk about saying, okay, well, what good sin do I do today? right? 
Do we go out and, and seek out, I'm just going to find some good sin because I'm walking? No, we, didn't, we just walked about in sin and we bumped into the sins that we were doing all the time, right? And we were, we, it was just the sphere in which we lived. That's what he's saying now when he uses it toward good works. It isn't that I just have to make this list of here are the good works I've got to do in order to make everything. That isn't it at all. I recognize that now that I'm in Christ and I'm in this sphere, I just walk in them. And I'm walking about and I'm going to be doing those good works because God's beginning to put inside me that, that desire for the good works which he is going to accomplish. So what am I going to need? I, I need to grow. That's where I need to, to, to do these good works. I've got to be sure that I'm growing. The Christian life is dynamic. It's not static. It's not that, that, that I, I got saved and now that's, that's it. But I need to continually be growing my whole life. It saddens me sometimes when I see an individual come to faith in Jesus Christ and I watch them begin to grow early in their faith and they'll be discipled, they'll be going to Bible studies and they'll be going to church and you see them grow and they grow typically until they reach a level of acceptance within the church, kind of the, the, the medium of the, the spirituality or the, the spiritual growth within the church and then they kind of stop and taper off. And that always breaks my heart because we should be continually growing for the entirety of our salvation, which by the way goes into heaven. We'll keep growing. Just because we, we go to heaven doesn't mean that we've, we've grown as much as we possibly can. But we'll continue to plumb the depths of the great love that God has. In verse 10, we have three elements of our growth that are listed. And I want to look at these. He says that many will be purged. To be purged, to be pulled out of something. I think it, here he's talking about conversion. Conversion. That that's the beginning of our, our spiritual growth. That we're purged from the world. That we were a part of the world. We were in that, that realm, that sphere of, of sin and, and uh, uh, transgression. And God took us, He purged us from that. And notice that it's not a few who will be purged. It's not one or two, but it's many who are going to be purged. That's tremendous hope, right? It's not just me and a couple guys that are going to be purged, but it's going to be this group, this multitude that are taken out, that are going to be converted. And we talk about conversion, we're talking about two, two ideas, and that's repentance and faith. And remember, it's not two separate things. Repentance and faith go together. When you're converted, they, they go together, they're, they're inseparable. It's not that I repent now and I believe later. No, what is my belief? My belief is repentance of my unbelief, is it not? And what is my repentance? My repentance is an expression of my faith. So repentance and faith go together, and that's our conversion in which we're, we're transformed, in which God has given us new life, and we respond in faith and repentance. But we don't stop there. Then the second step is, not only are they purged, but it also says that they are purified. And that's justification. Justification means that then when we're converted, we stand before the tribunal of God, and He looks at us, and He judges us according to Jesus Christ. And according to Jesus Christ, He looks at, at our advocate who holds out His hands, and the scars are visible. And God the Father says, forgiven. Because Jesus says, their debt has been paid in full, Father. I paid every bit of it. I asked you why I was dying, and you told me, and I said, it's finished, and it is. And then... He clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes His own righteousness and lays that upon our shoulders so that we are accepted by the Father. As forgiven and righteous people, we've been justified, we've been purified. And we're also refined. Notice that in, in verse 10 as well. Refined. This is our sanctification. To be sanctified. And the way God sanctifies us he sanctifies us sometimes by disciplining us when we're holding on to a sin that we ought not. 
And the discipline is sometimes hard. He also sanctifies us by pruning us. In discipline, he, he brings hardship into our life to cut sin off from our lives. In pruning, He brings hardship into our life to cut off something good that He might produce something better. This is a part of the work that He does. I like the word refined. As it reminds me, Robin and I took a vacation a, a few years ago and we went up to Vermont and we went to a, a maple, is it a maple grove? Is that correct? Okay, good. So maple grove. Um, I want to call it an orchard, but it really felt wrong. So it's a maple grove, and we watched them making syrup. Isn't that cool? So we, we put sap from a tree on our pancakes, and it's awesome. And how do they make syrup? Well, they get the sap, and then they, they have to boil it down, right? And it takes a long time to take these gallons of sap to make a small amount of syrup. But oh, I'm glad they do, right? Because it's sweet. Just as sanctification is sweet, that God takes us through that refining process in our lives in which he's leaving us with that sweet, sweet faith. That's what he's producing. Our ability to trust him in every situation that we face. So we see this great promise and, and the, the call to us to be sure that we are, we're growing. I'm going to keep working, which means I'm going I'm to keep growing and, and I'm going to endure I love the numbers. 1,290 days. I have no idea what that means. I can't tell you the day it started or the day it ended. What I know is God has a very specific number in mind. And what I like is he also then gave us the 1,335. Because he says, um, how blessed is, oh, before that, he says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. So between those two, there's 1,290 days. Where does he throw the blessing, though? He says, don't, don't wait and don't find joy for the setting up of the abomination of desolation, right? No, what's better? The blessing is on 1335. In other words, run through the finish line, not to it. Blessed are those who persevere, who endure. In Luke chapter 8, um, Jesus tells the, the parable. Actually, he explains the parable of the soils. You remember this where it talks about the, the sower goes out and he casts the, the, the seeds and they land on different surfaces. And, and each surface produces a different amount of, of crop. Verse 11, he says, Now the parable of the seed is the word of God. Um, those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. All right, we got that. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches of, uh, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with what? With perseverance. They endure. They, they go to the 1335. They're not settling for the 1290. They're going all the way through. So that the comfort we find from Jude 24 and 25 now he hit to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. 
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen? We want to endure. So, to keep on, we, 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 we're encouraged when we know that heaven is at work. We're, we're, we want to keep working, and finally, we have hope. 2021, we're, we're moving toward the end. There were a lot of aspects of 2020 we hated, right? Yeah, uh, we, we joke at our family, and we've decided that 2020 is going to be a cuss word. You know, that's about as, as, as salty as our language will get, but, you know, we may bang ourselves with a thumb and go, oh, 2020, right? And it just kind of, the, the, the way that that works out, it was such a, a, a weird, hard year. I love that someone uh, observed, I think it was on January 8, I saw the tweet in which someone had the picture of the guy uh, in the Senate who had the, the helmet with the, the horns and the face paint and no shirt, and he was standing up in the Senate, and he said, you know, 2020 was hard. Well, this was day six of 2021. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. <laughs> now we know where we're going. And, and just the realization, 2021 was hard too. We were hoping that COVID would be gone, right? It's not. We thought maybe the political environment would be better. It's not. Um, we continue to see that, that, you know what? Our hope is not in this world, is it? Praise God. I love Rich, uh, Rich Mullins one time said, I thank God for Richard Nixon. He reminds me I can't ever trust the government to be my hope. Amen. And uh, we can say that about all of our presidents, <laughs> that, that this is not where our hope rests. And so 2021, we've been focusing on the, the theme, which is um, heading home and, and looking for that ultimate blessing, remembering that, that our hope is not here, but that rest awaits you. Rest awaits you. Have you had the conversation with someone where uh, they come up and they greet you and they say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm tired, right? I think our family, that's our, our primary greeting to one another. How are you doing today? I'm tired. That's how I'm doing. I'm just tired. And I like the response. It says, well, good. That means you're working because we're not here to rest right? That's not why we were put here. This is not the place where we came to rest. Rest is something that's in the future for us, right? We wait for that. That's something that's, that's going to come to us. Right here, we work. Why do we work right here? Because there are men, women, and children around us who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And we've been given that message to take to them. And they need it to be saved. So we don't rest yet, but rest awaits us. Look at verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest. To enter into rest. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 15, we read, When he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I've retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Daniel just took it to a whole new level when asked, how are you doing? And he wanted to say, I'm tired, right? <laughs> he just said, I'm really, really tired. That's, that's, that's what he's trying to communicate. He was wiped out. And that's before he saw this vision. He was, he was, he was exhausted. And what is he told by Jesus? 
you will enter your rest. There will come a time when you will enter rest. Now, rest was a great theme in the Old Testament. When you look at the the names of the the children of Adam, there are two lines that immediately come out. And as you follow the the line of of righteousness, you find something in the names that the parents gave to the, the children. And if you follow through the meaning of each of the names, you end up with a gospel presentation. And the last of those names is, is Noah. And Noah means rest. I have to believe that each of the parents named their children in hope that the Messiah that was promised to Adam in Genesis 3.15 would be coming soon. Maybe our child. And Noah's parents said, your name is rest in the hopes that maybe he'd be the one who would bring rest. He did bring some rest in a unique sort of way with a covenant that God entered into with him. And the, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The Sabbath was a sign of the covenant to show that the people belonged to God. And we see that the Sabbath was given to man, not man made for the Sabbath. It was a gift that God gave. This day of rest in which He even gives us one day in seven in which we can rest from our labors. Because He wants us to have that rest. It's a continual theme. And Hebrews points out the importance of that theme in chapter 4. And verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Friends, you're almost there. You're almost there to that rest which is awaiting you. Hope in that rest and know that you will live forever. He goes on to say, and you'll rise again. You'll rise again. Our rest is not going to occur when we die. That's a little bit of a rest. The rest that we're hoping for is when our body is resurrected and joined together with our soul to forever live in the presence of God. That's our rest. When body and soul are brought together, when we rise again, when that great resurrection occurs, that's our hope. And we rise again to our allotted portion. What's our allotted portion? And sometimes we'll say, you know, how are you doing? And we, instead of saying, I'm tired because we're tired of that, we say, better than I deserve, right? And I like to think about that too. Um, what do you deserve as the child of God? What do you deserve as the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you deserve as the one who is forgiven of all of your sins and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who've been adopted as the sons and daughters of Almighty God? That's what Daniel was told is awaiting him, is that which is allotted for him, his allotted portion. I want to look at four passages to just remember what we, what we have to look forward to. The first is in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul writes, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We could see Paul getting a crown of righteousness, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Of course he would. I mean, he's Paul, right? And, and so we, we might even, we're willing on this one to say he's even Saint Paul. But notice what he says, but not to me only. To all of us who love his appearing. We're about to celebrate uh, Advent. What are we celebrating in Advent? The appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we look forward to in Advent? The second coming, the second appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love that? Yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. 
And there is awaiting for you, allotted for you, a crown of righteousness that will be placed upon your head by the righteous judge. That's great hope. 1 Peter 5.4 We read about another crown. Paul specifically writing to um, elders, but I believe this has application to all of us who are faithful. He says, you younger, er, uh, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Not only a crown of righteousness placed upon our head by the righteous judge, but the crown of glory placed upon our head by the glorious God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's tremendous hope. These are two crowns that await us. This is our allotted portion that Daniel is reminded of. And in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life from which the Lord has, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. The greatest of the crowns. The crown of righteousness from the righteous judge. The crown of glory from the glorious Father. And the crown of life from the God who is life himself that he will place upon our head this greatest of all the crowns. It's also mentioned in Revelation Chapter 2, as Jesus once again is, is writing to one of his churches, and he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He tells him death is their due. This is what's going to happen. They can count on that. Be faithful, and what will they receive? To those who endure, they will receive the crown of life. Life eternal. Life everlasting. Life in the presence of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is our hope. This year we've been talking about heading home. That's been our, our theme all year long. Because we know that our hope isn't here. Our hope is in glory. And we, we don't want to, to just build our kingdom here, but we want to build God's kingdom here while we're here. To do that, we have to keep on. We have to avoid the two temptations of sitting on our loyals or just giving up. Neither one is acceptable. Daniel was told, as exhausted as he was, with all the years of service behind him, he was still told, keep on. Keep on. To do that, we have to know that heaven is at work. It's not all about us. We have to then keep working. And finally, know that you have hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we turn to you again in desperate need, in urgent need of your Spirit to give to us what we need. Father, I pray for this congregation. As we've prayed all year, Lord, we want to keep our focus on you and on glory, on heaven. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. I pray that you'll help us to keep on. That we'll be aware that you and heaven are working here 
that we will continue to grow and that we will have hope. Father, will you make this congregation into one that shines brightly in this land and that shows that we are seeking to build your kingdom here, not ours, and not just your kingdom in heaven, but to see your kingdom touch this earth. And would you accomplish that goal for Jesus' sake? Amen.